You are listening to Down Home. Welcome back to the podcast. Our hiatus has officially come to an end. Me and Jay definitely have more stories to tell and people to talk to about the black experience here in Canada and especially in Nova Scotia. We start with a conversation with Miles Jones, a Toronto-based hip-hop artist and producer who recently worked on the hit TV show, Kim's Convenience. Our conversation with Miles touches on the importance of mentorship, the racial reckoning of 2020, and growing up in a white neighborhood in Toronto. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. I'm Derek Wise, and as always, we have Jay Jones. What's happening? And this episode, we have a local music producer and recording artist, Miles Jones. What's What's up, up? Miles? How you doing, man? Another Jones, hashtag. Another Jones. (laughs) Another Jones, yeah. Yeah, let's get that all the way. You guys related or no? (laughs) <laughs> no, we're not. We 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 talked about it many times. Well, we don't know. really know. We haven't done the twenty-one and eight thing yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, because right. the yeah. there's, there's a lot of you guys running around with themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of Joneses. Yeah. yeah, that's for real. All right, so let's let's jump into the questions, man. Um, me and Jay have talked about in, uh through our 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 podcast episodes, we talked about uh, like generational wealth. And the fact that it's not only about uh, money and land and stuff like that, it's also about knowledge, culture, history passed on to the next generation. Uh, talk to us about the mentors that, that loom large for you in your life, man. I mean, I've always been a big, uh, just being a producer and now a music manager and influencer, whatever you, whatever you want to call it in the industry, I'm, I'm happy to still be doing music at age I am and this is what I started when I loved it but I'm a big advocate of the fact that everybody needs mentors I don't care if you're the postman or the garbage man you you need a uh, you know and no disrespect to any job or anything that anyone does you need your mentors they're the ones that are going to teach you um so for me I've always looked up to, to this anyone that's taken me under their wing or that I've had a connection to has always played an influential uh, part of my life mm-hmm. uh, even from like you know a young kid and we, we're going to get into the whole like being a biracial kid or uh in a, in a in, in toronto and in the east end of toronto and there's not that much black uh culture and mm-hmm. you're not seeing mm-hmm. a lot of that growing up but i think having the mentors i mean you're lucky if you have it in your family but it's one of those things where if someone's uh looking out for you as a teacher or a mentor or just you know a uh, a babysitter whatever it is yeah that 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 person might actually have the biggest impact on you yeah and Mm -hmm. you don't even know it when it's happening um but as i grew up i learned that very quickly and by the time i think you know i made it to university i was able to start seeing how important that was Mm -hmm. um from the teachers i had met in high school even though high school was a weird and crazy experience and school in general isn't for most people, but I was able to latch on to the positive energies 
that uh, connected with me and that reached out to me and that was able to communicate with me. And funny enough, you know, I ended up taking a communications major when I went to McMaster, but it, it was, it's deeper than that. It's not about the, the academics. It's really about knowing who's looking out for you and who's got your back and then mm -hmm. being able to soak in everything they have. And, you know, for me, I was lucky. Like I had both my parents, my mom, not just my dad. I mean, my, my dad, Deadly Headley, you know, mm -hmm. he was a big influence on the record scene and the music scene uh, when he came over here from Jamaica, from right. New York, and he came here. And he was the first person out of our family in Jamaica to leave and, and pursue music wow. out of Jamaica. And my grandfather had done astronomical things, to say the least. And I don't even use that term lightly because he was building telescopes. But uh, <laughs> I mean, he... You know, my dad was the one that left and came, eventually ended up in Toronto. And, and, and I guess, you know, at the same time, he knew he had to leave and he knew he had to do something more. And he just knew that his calling was to create something bigger than him. Mm -hmm. and, and then comes me. And I feel like for me, he left that mark in the sense that I always feel like it's way bigger than just me. Yeah. I'm, I'm one person. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a bloodline of amazing music and people that have been able to show me you know whatever you want to call it show me the way and teach me or whatever but for me it's like who's the kid next door who who's talented or who's right. the person down the street or who else is looking out who, who else is looking up to me that i have to make an impact and teach them uh, so i think i even had that in my mind even from like a young kid mm -hmm. um, whether it was just like you know my little my you know the the neighbor upstairs who ended up being like my little brother P, who like I taught how to raise a a puck or a hockey stick, and then yeah. he he he's playing hockey, and that wasn't even my sport. And right. so I'm like, oh shit, this is amazing! Like you've taken what I've taught you in in one day, and you've practiced and practiced and learned. So I think having those mentors in any uh, industry or any sort of like aspect is so important. Um, yeah, and I'm super grateful. Like it was my, you know, definitely was my dad and my uncles, um, my mom and my uncles on my mom's side that I looked up to. And mm -hmm. then when I got to um, close to university, Dan Hill, whose son was getting babysat by my mom, who was a teacher. Right. Um, Dan Hill started kind of teaching me, you got to look into songwriting and publishing and production. Mm -hmm. And this is what you have to focus on. And this is the only thing that matters. Cut everything else out. Um, so I think I was always taking notes. And like I said, I'm still learning. I'm still looking up to the same mentors or different mentors, you mm -hmm. know, now. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's so important. Like I feel yeah. like your mentors kind of change every five, 10 years. Yeah. And you're taking those lessons they taught you and passing them on, you know, just like what you're supposed to do. And that's a that's a good vibe to roll with, man. Yeah, yeah. that's great. It's, it seems like you have a a, a great roster of people that actually shaped your career would you say that they they really formulated and, well, and kind of shaped your career? My, my my life and mm -hmm. my career comes after my life i feel mm -hmm. like yeah um yeah i mean i've always stuck to my guns and you know dan hill was the one who put me into uh, or asked me if i would not put me into but asked me if i wanted to be a part of the canadian idol writer scene in 2004. Oh, that's right. I remember that. I think I was 21. I was the youngest guy at the camp. Right. And I'm there with Randy Bachman and Derek Brin and all these, wow. all these big producers at the time. You know, Sean Desmond's rolling through, Keisha Shante, every, all the Canadian scenes there. 
and respect to all those people because it was such a crazy experience for me Mm -hmm. and it was mind-blowing but I think it was sort of like then and there that I was like okay I got to figure out okay you know what do I got to do what's my purpose in terms of being here you know I have this opportunity now to shine in this group of people and and while I was there, I met even more mentors that I'm like still friends to to this day that I still mm-hmm. look up to, whether they're in music or not. How how was the, like uh, the racial reckoning of the summer 2020? How did that affect your career or the music industry that you're in now? Well, I mean, it definitely affected the music industry and not just mm-hmm. my career. I think it affected every creative career and every person's career not just the creative industry. I mean, that was one of the industries that was hit hard, but so is the restaurant industry and yeah. the, you know, the barber industry, whatever, whatever it is. It's like, there's people that, you know, that were affected crazy. Um, I think for me, it affected, it, it kind of made me reflect on things and experiences that I'd never really talked about. Right. So whether that was being racially profiled a handful of times, uh, just driving around the city for being black, you know, I, I don't have a record. I, I wasn't really into too much trouble as a kid. Like, you know, I, I, I had friends that would get into fights and whatnot or whatever. But like, you know, if a cop pulled me over, they would look at my record and they, they would be like, oh, oh, shit. Like, this guy's <laughs> yeah. got no drug charges. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and to me, I found that so disturbing yeah. and, and so rattling at the time. And I, I would kind of let it pass. Or I'd be in Yorkville. And one time I was actually with... Um, Dan Hill and my boss at the time, Beverly Chapin Hill's son, David, and we got pulled over and the cop was like, um, the light illuminating your license plate at the back has gone out. And I was like, what, what is that? I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, And they're like, there's lights that illuminate your license plate. And one of them has gone out. And this is why we're pulling you over. And I mean, little did they know, like, you know, the guy I was with aunt was like, uh, you know, Superior Court Justice Judge right. and fucking came down on the whole force and was like, what the fuck is this? This is dumb. What are we doing here? What are we really doing? And yeah. so to see it come, you know, fast forward like 20 years later, mm-hmm. to see it come like that um, and sort of hit North America the way it did, I think I was emotional. A lot of things were getting sort of unpacked and brought to the surface. Um you know, even my dad, who lived in L.A. for 20 years and, and is now in Las Vegas, like me and him had a lot of conversations. He grew up in Jamaica. Mm. He didn't get the same sort of um, profiling. It was more like classism in Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. What classes, you know. Yeah. But I was the black kid in the white. I grew up in the East End, like Woodbine and Queen the Beaches. So yeah. I was one of the few darker kids there. Yeah. Sure. I, I, I still give a lot of um, my success to where I grew up because I feel like it, it did, it was very welcoming and the community mattered and everything, everything mattered. So it was, it was this very sort of deep thing when all of these riots started happening. What does this mean to America, to North America, to the world, to me, to my family? Mm-hmm. And everything started to sort of get unpacked. And I think um, it's still something that I think I, you know, I'm still trying to sort of dissect and figure yeah. out because, you know, here we are in 2021 and you know not much has changed it's just yeah. not all publicized and there's no mm-hmm. riots or whatever yeah. so it's it's not like you know it, for for that to happen in the in 2020 it almost felt like civil rights movement 
times. It felt like uh, the '60s. It felt like all the all the tapes I'd seen, all the movies I'd watched, yeah. are now yeah. brought to the forefront. And then yeah. you start seeing it in pop culture, in movies, in yeah. film, in yeah. music. And I still I still think in music we got a lot of work to do because at in those times, like there was a lot of political messages and a lot of people saying things and speaking about things. And mm-hmm. and nowadays because of what you know whatever reasons we're not we're not seeing that same push this you know the same way it seems uh you know we've taken it to a different place and so now we're dealing with all these sort of balances and imbalances and Mm -hmm. little you know uh things that now depending on where you're geographically from or what your upbringing is you you can you have a completely different opinion than the next man yeah Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. so you know so so you're has hip-hop hasn't caught caught up to it yet like the i mean hip-hop for me hip-hop was the best i mean i'm super biased but it was like Mm. in the 90s (laughs) yeah Um, for sure yeah the 90s yeah um there's a lot of there was a lot of great um you know there was a lot of great messages that came through in the good hip-hop whether it's public enemy yeah or or you know, LL Cool J or Cool Modi or Big Daddy Kane or Nas mm. or, or KRS One. Yeah, I'm just I'm not speaking on names to like name names. Yeah, but, I know. What you're you know there's there's our or even Quincy Jones doing rap stuff. Yeah, um, in in his latter career or Miles Davis mm-hmm. doing rap st- doing rap and R and B and stuff like that. Like you had people still really pushing the envelope. Yeah, musically, and I think uh, now uh, it's not just music, but media and pop culture in, in general is in a different it's a place. different space for sure it's in a different space yeah. it's, it's a lot more about how can we brand this how do we make yeah. money who's gonna yeah. make mm. out of this no one really gave a fuck about that in, in the yeah. 80s or 90s yeah. let yeah. alone before that yeah uh, true you know it was like can we get shine on a friday night when like i cut this record like <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like that, yeah that's all that mattered and you'd let your whole existence mattered on that mm-hmm. and and for me my whole existence growing up in high school mattered on like who i could beat when i battled them yeah in right a rap contest. yeah you know and all my friends would be like battle him battle him battle him battle him yeah, yeah and yeah. so i would always get put up to battle everybody even if i was trying to chill at a party yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah. Fuck, i have to battle this guy now oh, <laughs> but that's not a bad space to be because it knows all the time yeah so i always had to be like oh shit, what just happened okay what can I rhyme with? Oh shit! I'm gonna rhyme fucking who came harder, fucking Iverson or Vince Carter, like way before <laughs> Onyx did the song. So I'm like, okay, what are the rhymes? What's the relevancy? How can I make the whole room go? Oh, yeah. Uh, here we go again. The beat goes on again and again. The beat goes on again and again. The beat goes on again and again. The beat goes on. The beat goes on again and again. The beat goes on again and again. The beat goes on again and again. The beat goes boom bap, boom bap, again and again. No need for a pen. Mr. Jones plays the wind, so I jumped in on a one-way track. A one-way feeling to make your next snap And rock it to the rhythm, rock, rock it to the beat Rock it to the lost boys, wander in the street Speak to the past, inspire the young Play it for the peeps, it's bound to get sprung Do it so ill, heat for real Again and again, how we do it so chill And then after that, everything you say 
you're God to them. Yeah, you're, true, true. Yeah. Whatever you say, you're the the prophecy of the night. And there was so much, uh, I guess, weight and relevancy in in like that. And now you fast forward to like all the rappers from that era. Most of them are irrelevant now, completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's. I mean, that's somewhat sad to me. I mean, Nas isn't. Nas is fucking amazing. He still looks like he's 19. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> and that's facts. But like a, a lot of uh, music and rap from, or just in music from that era and from that hip hop culture didn't translate. And so I think for me being in the intermediate part of that timeline and kind of coming into relevancy in the late 2010s or 2009, whatever, um, that gave me like, okay, what's my message? What am mm -hmm. I gonna do? How can mm -hmm. I bridge the gap? How can I keep teaching? You know, yeah. I had a, a mom that was a teacher and a dad that was a DJ and a photographer. Like, how can I keep the art and the education relevant to everybody and tell them that like, this is the only thing that matters. This is what people are gonna look at in like history books mm -hmm. as opposed to like the internet. Yeah, 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 true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how you mentioned, you know, you know, I'm a big hip hop fan, love the golden era and still love a lot of hip hop today that I, I hear and find and, and sort of still have the values of what I sort of really fell in love with, but it's funny how, yeah, social media and brands has shaped, you know, careers. And it, it, I wonder if, even if, if that is the type of career that they want, or is it just, because the brand becomes the thing that they're actually after. Do, mm -hmm. do, do you, does that, um, does that sort of take place in your industry a lot in the sense of artists that you may have worked with, like the record company saying, take them there or whatever? A hundred percent. And when you're working with record labels, it's, it's, you know, uh, it's like any industry. It's not just, you're not working with individuals. You're working with a company that's trying to shape, another brand into something so the people and the essence of it almost doesn't even matter yeah um it's like how and it's like how can we take this and make that how can we create this into something everybody wants to see yeah. um and so i think it's like more the emphasis is more on how do we make something out of nothing as opposed to does this really matter is this really important yeah. um None of that matters as much as like, how can we make as big of a splash as we can? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that seems to be like the same thing with any Instagram campaign or TikTok or Facebook or whatever. It's like, how do we splash as hard as possible mm -hmm. and make that? And I, I was listening to a podcast the other day with Noriega and T-Pain and T-Pain was like, do you make fast food music or do you make gourmet music? Mm -hmm. And I really like that analogy because mm -hmm. I've always been, when I would go back and I listen to like, my uh, record uh, from 2006, One Chance, which was like my thesis uh, from McMaster or Runaway Jones, 2009. Yeah. These are, uh, the first one's actually almost unfindable, but it's on Apple. Right. Um, I, I, I think back and I listen to the recordings and I'm like, I'm proud of this. Yeah. I, I'm like, wow, I did this? This is yeah. cool. This is really like, this is me speaking my mind. This is me with a message. And so I think sometimes, you know, the medium's always the message, and that's what I got taught in school. Marshall McLuhan, that's always the thing. And mm -hmm. I think now the medium, um, that's been lost yeah. because the medium doesn't matter anymore because it's, right. your yeah. phone. it's just your phone. It's just and the end game, yeah. It's just the end game. And yeah, yeah how, you, how you get uh, the message uh, sent to you and how you receive it 
doesn't have any relevance because it's straight up your phone and it's straight up everyone's getting it the same way it's completely diluted it's gone through a hundred different people and it's not what you meant it to be Mm -hmm. and so i think there's something to be said for artists that are able to create really uh substantial influential art and just get it out there to their people Mm -hmm. that's amazing Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really great analogy, the fast food Definitely. analogy, because, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, McDonald's is a billion dollar company. So, <laughs> you know, I don't, right. you know, you what I mean? 10 meals at McDonald's or yeah. one meal at Ascari. This I know is the I thing. That's the thing. Right. Yeah. And um, and uh, it's something that um, as I've gotten older, you kind of you appreciate the gourmet. You appreciate the gourmet, but then you got the little 15, 16 year olds that are all up in McDonald's until right? they turn 20, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a and high school like, thing. Damn, you've <laughs> been eating this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, ever since I was 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 man, big up to Ascari. I, uh, as, soon as, you, Ascari, as uh, soon as you said that, I was like, man, they make they make some good pasta. <laughs> I think about Ascari like on a daily basis. Yeah, and those <laughs> yeah, and those cool nights we used to have the hip hop Monday nights. You know, that's just, right. You you were there, Dave Upper, chilling yes. in the kitchen, dropping, Upper, re- yes. playing the beats. And and then, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. fun, man. And, it was and fun. We, we would DJ in the kitchen like Grandmaster Flash. Those are my favorite nights. So it's yeah, like, you know, like I I DJ to uh, you know five thousand people at a venue. But my favorite nights were in stuffed in the kitchen at Jones and Queen. Yeah, for sure. You know, with yeah, like fifty people there. At the yeah, show, the so. neighborhood vibe. It was. Yeah, the neighborhoods changed quite and a I bit. I think you know what I think at the end of the day, most artists uh, attach themselves to those types of moments. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Things yeah, that, uh, mean something to them. The things yeah. that feel real and that yeah. have substance. Yeah, I think you know uh, all the cookie cutter things continue. Yeah. But like, you know, the fast food gourmet thing is a funny analogy because I think at the end of the day, it's like you're always looking for the gourmet. So yeah. hard to find it. Yeah. And when you do, you feed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's when you un- undo the belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you mentioned earlier growing up in the beaches, um, yeah. you know, basically being, you know, one of the few black kids in the neighborhood probably like i can relate i grew up in an all-white neighborhood in halifax called klein heights and you know i know i adapted my identity in a certain way to to survive and and adapt and just to try to fit in and blend in um like how has that being biracial shaped your identity going a little bit deeper like i mean i grew up you know no jay you're right it's totally the deepest thing like i remember not being able to be like Superman on the schoolyard because I wasn't black, but I love Superman so much. They're like, but you don't look like him. You can't be him. Mm-hmm. Or having to hang out with all the girls because I wasn't really in line with all the white boys. So I'd have to go hang out with the, I mean, now that would be great. You know, oh, I'm not hanging out with all the girls on apparatus, but like yeah. at the time I'm like, damn, this, this sucks. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm getting thrown into this category and I didn't really have other uh, black kids I could relate to. There was, you know, one or two. I had my friend Martin, who was um, Bucky from Down Webster, but he kind of had it. He was a year younger, and he had his own path. And it's really funny how many musicians came from the neighborhood I came from because I do feel like the community did raise that. They mm. raised, they gave us the confidence to have that, mm. um, to feel like you're black, you're strong, you're powerful. You come from, 
you know, a different cloth. You're cut from a different cloth, yet you're still us. You're still one of ours. So the community, I definitely felt embraced, but also like um, secluded and alone at the same time. Like mm-hmm. I had uh, my mom taught in Regent Park when I was really young, which which is funny enough where I live now. And you know, I remember um, one of her teacher associates gave her. Uh, I went into her class and I said, "That doll right there, that mixed doll." that looks like me right and I called him shortsy and she came my mom came into the room one day and I was just punching the shit out of him and I was so mad at shortsy because he was not letting me be black he wasn't letting my blackness thrive or like he wasn't and I'd see you know my dad who I didn't live with he was still he was still there though very active in my life Mm -hmm. and so he'd come in and we watched Fresh Prince or Bill Cosby, or mm. we listen to Bob Marley, or or Young MC, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'd have these amazing flashes of greatness, and then or moments that I'd be like, "This is black greatness," and then I'd go back to school, and I'd be like, "Damn, and it changed." Yeah, ain't nobody get any of this. Yeah, none of. And so that was very confusing for me to mm-hmm. try and find, you know, something. And that's why I think um, sports was a big thing. Ken Griffey Jr. Michael yeah. Jordan, like mm-hmm. these these athletes that were black greatness that would smile and be and sort of be relevant and and also mm-hmm. just show like positivity for black people being mm-hmm. like you can do this if you work hard enough you yeah. can do this if you're someone that uh, aspires to be great mm-hmm. and then I I was lucky enough I met my friend Aaron I know who you wanted to be on this podcast yeah in grade five he came to the schoolyard. And I remember he came there and he, he was like, like for me, it was just like a shocker because he had like a Chicago Bulls hat on. He had like the cross, Barry Bonds, like earring. Yeah. And everybody's looking at him and he's like, fuck you, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you can't say that. You can't do that. And then the next day, everyone's like, Aaron's so hot. Aaron's so cool. Like, holy shit. <laughs> what just happened and suddenly i was like oh man shit he just he, he he's just himself and because he had a lot of um brothers he's one of nine kids mm-hmm. you know parents that had different kids and his dad's a famous jazz drummer archie yeah. Aline, yeah. And, he, and they moved into the neighborhood from richmond Hill. he came from a completely different place and so i think him in bringing that confidence we that i was like damn you got to be like that but then i didn't realize he was looking at me like you got to play basketball. You got to right. you got to know about rap music. So me and him kind of fed off each other, mm-hmm. and suddenly it was like, okay, I got a pal now. I got a buddy. So yeah. then my blackness felt like, okay, crisscross. It's not just me mm. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of us, and it's funny because <laughs> we split in, in middle school, and then I got really confused and upset again. I'm going to grade seven and eight because mm-hmm. you know the, the the cooler black kids were in grade eight. I was in grade seven. And again, once again, even though I had amazing white friends, it was like I didn't have that same camaraderie or that same relateness, like re- being able to relate. To, to relate, yeah, um, yeah. You know, when it came to music and just whatever. And it's, you know, Aaron's family came from uh, Black America. His mom's from Buffalo. My mm-hmm. family, my Black dad's from Jamaica. My mm-hmm. mom's from uh, Brandon, Manitoba. So, and, and Aaron, both his parents were Black. So I think, you know, to see that positivity and... To, and to feel like, okay, this is okay, this is cool. Then suddenly I had the confidence to be like, you know what, I'm just gonna do this. And then I realized when I did that, people respected it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, okay. So I actually just have to like 
be myself and learn more about what it means to be black. Uh, yeah, my, my kids are actually biracial. So um, I remember, you know, having that conversation um, early on. Um, I think they were like both five or six and, and basically saying, hey, you know, you know, me and your mom are both in your life, but, you know, the world sees you as a black person. You know, both both of my kids are very uh, dark uh, looking and complected as well. So yeah. um, and both of them not really getting it until they're, they were older. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, um, do you do you see that in your daily life? Like the, the world sees you as a black man, no matter what your your what your parents. I mean, especially is. for me, because like if you look at me, you don't think I have a blonde white mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's funny because I have other biracial friends, whether they're a quarter black or half black, that look super light. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're like considered uh, what some people would call white passing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, which to me is like a terrifying term because it's like, okay, well, what does that even mean? So you're white passing, but when, when we want to call you black, we're just going to like, you're the first black guy to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So to me, that's, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, everyone looks at me and sees a black person. Other people look at black people and see a white person mm-hmm. until they don't or what, or until they learn or whatever it is. And yeah, I got nappy hair. I, yeah, I don't, I don't look any bit white at all. Um, but at the same time, I think that, I think also that was one of my uh, struggles as a kid to find my identity mm-hmm. uh, and, and to, you know, try and find uh, something to relate to because they're, they're, it's not, it's not much in pop culture that someone's like, yo, I'm biracial. Not until we saw like Drake or like, you know, yeah, it's very European true. Yeah. weekend. Like you're seeing like light skin guys that are yeah. killing it. That yeah. didn't come until way later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Other than maybe LL Cool J who never talked about it being light skinned ever. Mm, so, yeah, like, I know. I- it did really you know, matter. I don't even know what LL's background is. And, and yeah. that's it. It was just, he's black. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, th- that being said, like, how did being biracial shape your identity in hip hop? Did it bring forth more blackness or did you go in there going, I still not quite sure who you know, I, I am myself. By the, by the time I was recording uh, records and not like battling and DJing and stuff, I was pretty confident in my skills. Yeah, and so I, I, I felt I truly felt like my skills reign supreme, mm. and not to say that people aren't going to see a color when they look at me because I knew that that was a thing for record labels. I knew that the shade of your skin was going to matter. Like if you're if you're lights if you're elephant man, you're not going to get the same record deal as if you're Sean Paul. Like that's yeah, definitely yeah. a real thing. Yeah, uh, and that's still, probably still a thing. However, I think now being in 2021. Uh, uh, brands and labels and entities are way more conscious of that. They're mm-hmm. like, and, and and it almost is like a backfire because they're like, specifically, we're going for this, and it's like, okay, well, maybe you should just go for the best uh, thing instead of trying to pinpoint you want this to be a black thing or a female thing. And I want all of the equality in the world, so I don't want to take away from any of that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like sometimes things get diluted because of an agenda. Yeah. and yeah. the agenda always before was like oh that's too scary that's too black that's mm-hmm. that's too much we yeah. can't do that and even when i was doing like voiceovers or commercials or you know even in you know this is you know, not even that long ago like maybe 2015 2016 
I'm still writing for commercials, for agencies, and I'm getting calls from my music supervisor you know, on an honest level being like, they, they said it was like a little too urban. Yeah, a little and too so urban. I'm like, damn, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> so, or, or just like, yeah. And so it's like, okay, so, but, but the ask would have been like, yeah, we want it to be like cool and poetic and like have flavor and all these things. And then you do it. And then you're like, oh, oh, that's too urban. Oh, okay, damn. Yeah, that's so that's a, such a bad word. You written by a black person, but performed by a white person. Is that like I don't get what that means? So mm. I think a lot of that would always leave me questioning things. But at the same time, I never really paid attention to it because I knew the imbalance, and I knew sort of growing up um, the struggle that it took to really um, put forth the fact that like black people can be the be of higher education and can be of all of these like positive things that you don't really see when you open up a textbook or when you mm-hmm. or when you know you see it in oh, sports or music but like what about all the black lawyers or all the black doctors or all the you didn't really catch that or that wasn't you didn't really see that in er or yeah. in friends or yeah. in like you know what i mean or in yeah. tv you didn't that wasn't portrayed and i think now pop culture is really taking a look in the mirror like how do we fix that? It's not just about fixing it by throwing a black person in the mix. You know what I mean? It's really about learning um, how do we integrate these stories or how do we like uh, bring the importance of what it means as opposed to just putting the representation into like the visual aspect of it. Yeah. And people, and people have to be open to having these conversations, even though they are sort of, they put you in a vulnerable spot. They, you know, it it might be some subject you don't want to broach, but we really have to dig down deep and talk about those things because that's where the healing can only begin so we can see things differently because the way it has been, it's obviously not working and it keeps on happening. You know what I mean? So the more things change, the more they stay the same. So when are we going to try to change that rhetoric, you know, by having these conversations, at least getting things open and putting them on the table, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's um, conversations like these are, are the way forward. And it's yeah. part of the reason why we've uh, we've uh, started this podcast, but definitely. And uh, also another reason why I'm here with you guys. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like this podcast is important. You know, uh, um, I wanted to be a part of this conversation. I know we could talk for days yeah, <laughs> whether for sure. it's on this or at a local restaurant or whatever. Yeah. But um, I think these are the things that we really need to highlight and bring forth and really, you know, uh, promote in the sense of this is not promoting someone or their blackness. We're, we're promoting this culture and this life and this history that we all grew up with. And it, it all comes from different places and spaces. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to hear everyone's take on how, because I, you know, my, I'm not right. No, no one's specifically right. Like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like Jay's saying, we got to talk about this. These are hard conversations to have. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Whether it's with someone, uh, your own race or uh, someone that's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, Miles, brother. That's um, that's awesome, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Jay Jones, take us out, man. 
Well, I mean, I haven't seen you in the, in the flesh in a couple of years, but, uh, yeah. but, it, but it's good to see you here. And uh, we are neighbors and hopefully we can get together and continue these conversations sometimes. But I really do want to say that you're truly an inspiration and just the way that you're keeping on, keeping on and keeping your vision in sight and, and, and also teaching younger generations along the way. So this, this knowledge can be passed down. So we can have better opportunities and gain confidence from the people that, you know, that's, that's our lineage, you know, whether we're related or not, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're people of color and we do sort of have to teach each other and, and, and continue the community going and going and growing. So we can put ourselves in these places where we can express ourselves, you know, and uh, that, anyway, that's all I got to say about that. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah. 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 All right, man. Thanks. But I appreciate it, Miles. Much love, brother. Yeah. Much love to you guys. I'd love to continue this. Um, You know, let's keep all the positivity going with, uh, what we can and you know anything we can highlight i'm happy to help you guys out and be here for you guys yeah um just one question what do you have on the go now uh that you might want to tell people about oh cool that's dope um yeah yeah, i mean i got a tv show on cbc right now it's called strays yeah okay Uh, so uh, sadly kim's convenience ended that's that could be a whole show in itself (laughs) yeah um, after season five but that was an amazing experience for me and also great and you know growing up with my mom teaching in region and living in region and then the show being around like being in region um was amazing and so that lasted five seasons and now the sun is a big star a marvel star mm-hmm. um yeah. and i'm friends with the producers and the writers and being on a tv show as a composer was a, the biggest challenge for me over the past five years but it's kind of brought me into a new world and expanded my capabilities as a creator and so i i really love that so now the new show is a spin-off of that it's called Strays. It's on CBC uh, every Tuesday at 8.30. Cool. Uh, I'm working with a, a slew of really cool artists. Um, a handful that I'm managing, David Morrison, Lillian Blue Macon, um, who, who I've been producing for, a band called Taxed, uh, cool. Danny, and really just trying to take um, things that I find inspirational and mm-hmm. elevate them to the next level. Uh, cool. And then for myself, uh, you know, I've been working on um, some projects as a producer. My uh, my homie Ali Bay from Brooklyn, we did a project called uh, Royal that's out on all DSPs, which is cool. re- very relevant to the show. I think you guys would dig that mm-hmm. album. And, cool. uh, and outside of that, really just looking for, you know, new artists that I can collaborate with and, and you know, brands that I can really feel good about working with and working for and moving things forward, like you said. What awesome. about uh, what about Runaway Jones, the MC? Hey, so <laughs> Run, Runaway's still alive. I heard he was around. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, the thing is, like, I've made more songs and made more music doing what I've done in the past six years yeah. than I did in a li- my whole lifetime before that. Right. Yeah. Because uh, even for the show, we're writing like you know sixteen pieces constantly. Yeah. For an episode or something, whether it's hip hop or not. But I think all of those have inspired. Um, the same thing that created Runaway Jones. So mm-hmm. I think when I have something relevant to say, you're going to hear it. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's going to be over probably, uh, you know, a Runaway Jones beat or a DJ Serious beat or, yeah. you know, I'll call on my guys, Mr. Attic. But Runaway Jones is still alive and well. Cool. And 
it's, you know, it's one of those things where I don't feel like I have to push it. I'd rather just create uh, the, the things I think are the dopest and then everyone can see what, you know, when it comes out or if it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. No, no pressure. If it comes, it comes right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there. It's just about if I share it or not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's, that's up to you, but I'm telling you, we'd love to hear some, some, some stuff for sure. <laughs> but anyway, that. yeah, man. Uh, right, it's been cool. a pleasure. Like I said, man. Yeah. Much man, love. Grief. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks again, man. Thanks guys. Peace, right, peace, 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 peace. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The video and music track again, courtesy of Miles Jones. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep, no time to sleep as you reach your next phase, laying it all on the line, new trail stop to blaze, it's a fire inside. The song, Breaking New Ground, from The Breakdown. Just kicking it live, a connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed, only to see the perfect blend like a diamond in the rough.